Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, uh, again I come to you, Lord, just as every week, and I, uh, Lord, I just humble myself before you, Father, and Lord, I'm grateful um, for the task of just preaching the word, Father, and delivering a message, Father, that truly comes from you, that's of your word and from your spirit, and so, Lord Jesus, because it's yours and not mine, I pray that every ounce of me would simply be moved out of the way, Father, and that I would just be transparent, that they would hear your voice, Lord, that they would see you move, Father God, and... uh, Lord, that you would just uh, shine through. So, Holy Spirit, come and and speak the message that you have for your people, Father God. And let us all, myself including, have just an open heart and an open mind to receive your word with joy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, everybody. Today we are going to be talking about an uncomfortable church. So that's the title for tonight's message, Uncomfortable Church. And, um, you know, nobody likes uncomfortable churches, right? It's just the thing, right? There's people want to go somewhere where they feel at home, where they feel easy, where they feel comfortable. They can come and kind of just, you know, squeeze into a seat and sink in. And that's, you know, some people, they don't, you know, they don't want people jumping on them when they walk in the door. I'm one of those people. If you come at me with a Joel Osteen smile and you're in my face, I'm going to be a little bothered. There are some people who, if you don't do that, man, they're going somewhere else, right? It's just the way it is. And so people don't like uncomfortable churches. Well, here's the thing. Tonight, um, regardless of what you might be thinking in your head right now, I'm going to preach to you about why we need to be an uncomfortable church and how my desire is to be an uncomfortable church. So I want to start by reading this from Genesis. This is a command from Genesis 1, verse 28. And actually, I'm going to read it off the board because I only, I only uh, read a small portion of it or wrote down a small portion of my notes. It says, then God blessed them. So he's talking about Adam and Eve. So God made everything in six days, right? And part of that was, was Adam. And it says, and Eve, his wife. And it says, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I want to focus on this one part where he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Because here's the thing, guys. This is, at least when you read through the Bible, when when it First thing you see, this is the very first command given to mankind, right here. The very first command of God. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. You see, this is the will and the purpose of God, that we would not just reproduce, you know, but that we would be fruitful And that we would multiply greatly. That's the idea here. Even to the point that literally, yes, we fill the earth. You know, we hear, I was thinking about this. It's it's crazy to me. All these people, oh, we know there's too many people on the planet. There's not enough room. We're using up all the resources. Two things. For one, that's not even close to true. Okay. If you've driven through half the states in the United States, at least on this side, you know there's plenty of room. Okay. They're just all in the wrong spot. Uh, For two, even if that was true, 
God said, fill the earth. So that's what we need to do, right? Now, that's, I'm not really going to spend most of my time talking to you about uh, the reproductive plans of the human race, but <laughs> that is God's command, right? But here's the thing. Most people, most Christians, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about this command. Who here in the last week has really dwelt and, you know, meditated on this verse? No? Nobody? Oh, well, maybe one, two. Well, we did read it, so some of us are cheating. But uh, this isn't something that's considered very often by us. Yet this was God's first and primary command on mankind. The baby boomers? Yeah, well, anyways. So we don't think about this too much, right? But here's the thing. There's a whole lot. If you really consider this verse and you learn all that it has to do with our lives, there's a whole lot to learn about God from this one command. And there's a whole lot of theology to be pulled out of God's desire for us to fulfill this command. So today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to be in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God's command to be fruitful and multiply affects us as his church body. We're going to see how very often, to even today as a church, we sin against this command. And we're going to look at what are the results? What are the results when we obey or disobey God's command to be fruitful and multiply as a church. So let's go ahead and let's read. Let's read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. So it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had uh, come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had come and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, if we go back to chapter 19, when we consider the will of God to be fruitful and multiply, to cover the whole earth and to subdue it, right? And we're going to look at a little bit more of what Jesus has to say in, a, in another scripture. But when we think about God's will... Uh, for us as a church, we should immediately see an issue in verse 19. Because notice it says, 
that those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews. Now, first of all, I got to give them some credit, okay? These guys were all in Jerusalem. They were living it up. They were all part of the church, having a good time. And then Stephen gets stoned to death. And then there's this guy, Saul, and all the Pharisees with him that start persecuting the church, start throwing Christians into prison. And so they have no choice but to leave. And so they spread all across the land. They even go across the Mediterranean, right, some of those places. And they are, when they go, they're sharing the word. They're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So I'll tell you what, I got to give them some credit there. All right? Praise the Lord. It could have said, and they went to those places and went back to their former lives. That's what it could have said. So I'm thankful. But notice, it says, they preach the word to no one but the Jews. Now, here's why I have a problem with that statement. Do the Jews need to know Christ? Everybody do this. Yes. Absolutely. They are God's chosen people called by his name to receive the Messiah and all the promises of God. And yet they're lost. They need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So praise God for the Jews. But here's the problem I have. Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch? I don't know if you ever looked at the map. Those are not primarily Jewish places. Those are Gentile lands. So my problem is, what about the Phoenicians? What about the Cyprians? And yes, I looked that up. That's how you say it. What? <laughs> what about, I, didn't, I couldn't find anything for Antiochians, okay? So that one. <laughs> what about them? Godless, pagan people. Don't you think that if we said, hey, we need to take the gospel out, that our first target should be the godless? And it was one thing, you know, I probably would have been happy if it said they took it to the Jews first. Hey, that's God's people. Might as well, right? That's where judgment's going to start. You might as well give them a chance. In the house of God. But it says they took them to the Jews only. So that bothers me a little bit. So here's why this is, this is such a problem. You know, Jesus' own commandment in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said for them to wait till they receive the Holy Spirit and that when they receive the Holy Spirit, you know what Jesus' words were? It says that they would receive power to be his witnesses to Jerusalem. Okay, they're probably good with that. To Judah or Judea. Okay, they're probably good with that. To Samaria, that probably caused a little bit of a stir. And it says, and also to the ends of the earth. I don't think there's a whole lot of Jews and Samaritans out there. That means that once they get past their nice little ground of comfort, it's the whole world. All the Gentile world that Jesus Christ has already told them, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to send you to your brethren, the full body of Israel, to the Samaritans, and then to all the peoples of the world. That was his command, right? 
And yet here we are, and they're not fulfilling that command. That bothers me. And here's the thing. Um, it would seem to me, now this is just speculation, okay? I don't know any 2,000-year-old um, Jews that could tell me the story of how it all happened. But it seems to me that when they left Jerusalem and they went to these areas, you know what they did? They went into their little Jewish communities. They went into these little Jewish areas where they were accepted, where everything was nice and comfy, where everybody had, you know, they all kind of had the same background. They all understood each other. And then they kind of just sort of begin to share the gospel from there, which is good. It's good. But where their comfort level ended, so did the gospel. That's not good. That's not good. See, comfort, a lot of times, equals idleness. And comfort is not a thing that was commanded to us by the will of God. Rather, Matthew 28, 19 starts with go. Go. That one part of the Great Commission alone is enough to make most people uncomfortable. To go. But this is the will of God for his people is in the flesh, it was to be fruitful and multiply. So how much more in the spirit, in the things concerning the church of the living God, has God commanded us to go, be fruitful, and fill the earth? Have you thought about that? You know, that's what I love about the Bible. A lot of these things have, they have dual purposes, dual meanings. But you know, this is, this is actually something that we as Christians and just even us as mankind, you know, we've been sinning against God the same way since the dawn of time. Same way. God said, be fruitful, go out, fill the earth, subdue it. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 11? The Tower of Babel. All these guys come to the plain of Shinar and they say, you know what, this place is pretty nice. Let's not go out and multiply. Let's stay right here. Oh, and while we're here, let's build this giant tower against God. It says Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That also means against the Lord, right? And they completely defied the command of God. And because of that, God comes down and he confuses their language so that they have no other choice but to spread out, to leave, and to continue multiplying because that is the will of God, right? So even after the flood, you know, even Noah was given the same command to go out to, to fill the earth, to multiply. But here's the thing, Israel's, uh, Israelites, anybody familiar with a little thing called the promised land? Yeah, okay. Anybody here know they never took over the promised land? Did you know that? Israel never took over and received the promise of God. Now they got some of it, right? They got some of it. But do you know why they did not, to, why they don't today have
have the fullness of God's promise? Disobedience. They got in, they began to take it over, and then these people grew idle, they were faithless, they went their own way, and you know what? It was too much work. It was too much work to continue conquering that land. They began, they began to be afraid of, of the, the fighting and the war and the other peoples, and they said, you know what? Whatever. And they became happy and comfortable where they were with what they had. And they forfeited the promise of God for the sake of their comfort. It's the truth. You can go back and read it. And so when, when the, the birth of the church starts, man, it's unfortunate. We don't see anything different. Jesus says, you know what? When my spirit comes, he's going to fill you. He's going to give you power. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go out to all the ends of the earth. That sounds gangster. That just, that just sounds cool, right? Anybody who wants to be an adventurer, that sounds like a deal. Except for here's what happened. Here's what really happened. The Holy Spirit came, fell on him. Peter preaches like this awesome message that sometimes I just want to stand up and read it. I don't even want to preach on anything. I just want to read what he said. And 5,000 people came to Christ that day. A couple of days later, he heals a man outside of, uh, outside of the temple, preaches another message. 2,000 people, 3,000 people, I forget. Maybe it was 3,000 and 2,000, whatever. A couple more thousand people come to Christ. And from there, the church begins to grow and grow, and they have fellowship, and they have love, and they're sharing all these things. They even appoint deacons because the ministry is so great. And you know what this amazing church does not do? Fulfill the word of Christ to go out to Samaria and to all the world, the, the places of the world. They are comfortable building their church right where they are and being happy with what they have at the moment. So you know what happens? You know what God allows? Persecution. And it comes and sweeps, sweeps against the brethren. And because of the persecution, they are scattered. And because of the persecution, it's Philip who goes to Samaria as Christ commanded. And the Samaritans get saved. You know what happens? Does Jesus let them get comfortable? No. He takes them to the eunuch who takes the gospel back to Ethiopia. And then he's basically teleported. Like, read it. For reals. That's what happens. To Azotus. And he preaches the gospel all the way from Azotus to Caesarea. And he begins to fulfill the word of the Lord. Right? Christ, the Holy Spirit, does not allow him to get comfortable in Samaria. He keeps him moving with a purpose. And so here we have uh, pretty much the same issue. But here's the thing. I want you to notice a pattern here. Okay? And I've talked about this before. But I want you to notice a pattern here. In all of church history... From the biblical times, even till today, you can go back and look at the history books. You can go look back and look at England. You can go back and look at the Vikings, right? You can go back and look at all this history of the world. One of two things happens. One of two things happens. A nation or a people, they become Christian. The church begins to grow, right? You take Rome, they became a, a Christian state, Christian nation even. And uh, they become Christian, they begin to grow, and one of two things happens. Either they send people out, 
they send people out and they flourish or they keep people in and they break down. Because God will allow persecution. God will allow invasion. God will allow these things that force the people to move. And that sounds crazy, but it's God's will will be done. It will. In fact, I love, you know, I read this book and I was reading through history and I love the fact, I never knew this, right? They don't teach this stuff in high school or maybe I just was skipping or not paying attention. I don't know, but I didn't learn it, right? The Vikings, you know how the Vikings heard the gospel and got saved? Because they started attacking, was it England? Right, they started attacking England and there was all these cathedrals up by the, by the water with nice fancy glass and they were going in and they were stealing away their women and they were taking them back home. And because England didn't go out, but these women were being taken back as wives, they were sharing the gospel with their new husbands and their Viking husbands came to faith. And the gospel began to spread through the Viking people. And that's how the gospel got there. And if you go back through all of history, you'll see the same exact pattern over and over and over and over and over again. It's crazy. So here's the thing that I want you to think about, though. While it may be very unpleasant, maybe it's uh, uncomfortable for us to go out. Maybe it's uncomfortable to send people out, people that we love and we want to spend time with, right? We got a brother who's leaving to Austin. You know, I don't particularly, you know, it makes me a little sad. So it may be hard to go out ourselves or to send people out. But you know what's more unpleasant than getting out of your comfort zone to obey the will of God? Disobeying it and having him force your hand through persecution or through taking things out of your life, through pruning things away from your life, right? In fact, hey, we can even be happy at that. Jesus says that the will of the Father is for you to bear fruit. And if you bear fruit, he prunes you. He cuts things off so you can bear more fruit. So we know that God's good, right? God is good. But it can be unpleasant. And Pastor Mark, I'll tell you what, man, that guy, he says the same thing a hundred times sometimes but I'm grateful because they get stuck in my head. And one of them is a quote from a missionary where he said, you know, I, I learned to hold the things of this world loosely. Loosely. Because if I don't, it hurts when God has to pry away my fingers. And that's a good quote. Right. And so if we're not going to go out if we want to build a kingdom right here where we're comfortable, that's not where Christ is building his kingdom. It may start here, it may continue here, but it's also going. And if we have a church as a church, and I say church as a whole, right? Church as the church, wherever you go, wherever we're at. If we as a church don't have an understanding, that needs to be a basic foundation of who we are as a body to be going out or to be sending out to new places, to new people, for new outreach. God might just force our hand. And that becomes more uncomfortable. So we see here that the, the church grew a bit too comfortable, right? Talking about uh, beforehand in Jerusalem when the persecution first 
first spread and that they failed to do God's will. So God sent them out pretty much anyways. And so some of them went to Phoenicia, some of them went to Cyprus and everywhere in between, and they took the gospel to the Jews. However, verse 20 and 21 says this, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. So these are Greek people. When it says Hellenists, these are Greek people. They speak Greek, Greek culture, right? Hellenistic Jews, Greek Jews. Just a little history lesson for you. Okay. So they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So here's the thing. When people are simply willing to go and obey the command of Jesus Christ to be a witness to all the earth, you know what God does? When we're faithful, you know what God responds with? More faithfulness. When we are faithful, God responds with even more faithfulness. So they go out of their comfort zone. They go into these places and they speak even to the Gentiles. And if you were here last week, we just got done reading how big of a mess it made for Peter when he went to the Gentiles and how the church pretty much freaked out. What are you doing? Right? Well, these people, they left back with Stephen. They don't know what's going on with with, uh, Cornelius. They don't know what's going on with the council that the Jews as a whole have accepted that all people are welcome before God. They don't know that. Yet they went anyways with the gospel of Christ. They passed that comfort zone. And notice, when he says that they went to the Jews, that's pretty much where they end it. When he says that they went to the Greeks, it says, and a great number believed and came to the Lord. I think I lost my place here. So this is the will of God, right? That we go forth, not come in. Think about that. God doesn't want more people coming in if there's not going to be more people going out. Okay? He wants us to go, to, to go forth, not just come in. He wants us to make disciples, right? Not just keep friends. And he wants to build his church on the preaching of the word. So we have to be very, very careful that we're not going to allow ourselves to fall into that same sin as the people in Shinar. That we're not going to fall into the same sin as Israel or the same sin as the early church, right? One where they want to to dwell in comfort and build what right here, what they already have. And honestly, I think that this, this is the reason why we still have family members that are lost. Right? Really, this is, this is the reason why we have family members that are lost. This is why churches aren't growing. Someone might say, what are you talking about? Churches are growing. I saw this church and this church growing. Typically, you know what's happening? Churches are not massively growing. What's happening is churches are being massively reassembled. Where you've got herds of people leaving this church to this church. And you're having these Christians move over here. And they're being shuffled around. 
Every time there's a new youth group, a young adult group, every time there's a new program, every time another church sprouts up with a better worship team, people just move around. And you go, oh my gosh, look at the church, it's growing, and they started with 15, and now they have 100. And The church as a whole, there weren't 100 new converts in that church. Those are 100 people who came from other churches to go see another show. That's what's happening. And we're not seeing the church grow the way that Acts tells us the church should grow. And that's why really, what it really comes down to, that's why our culture isn't being won over to Christ. I don't, you know what? I love to see people get saved. I love to see baptisms. I love to see people who are lost and suddenly, boom, there's a light bulb. And you just see something in their eyes change, right? And then from that point forward, their, their entire life changes. It's not a one-time deal. I love that. I love it more than anything. You know what a greater desire of mine is to see? To see a whole city change. To see a whole nation change. You know, Texas is a great place, man. Praise God for Texas, right? We are the most, you know, kick you in the face, drink our beer and carry our gun place in America, and I love it. Even though I don't drink beer, I still love it, right? I think more states need to be like Texas, and barbecue, right? And Texans love some Jesus, right? But Texas, man, needs a lot of help. And if we have the most conservative, I mean, maybe someone can correct me, but if we have the most conservative state in the United States, and I have some real doubts and fears for our capital and some other places and a lot of people, what does that say about the rest of our nation? Because as Christians, as a church, we're not reaching the culture. We're trying to become like the culture for some crazy reason. I'll never understand that. But we're not showing such a change and we're not going forth with such a truth that it's shocking and changing the culture. And until the church stops trying to build itself up and starts trying to build itself out, that is not going to change. And we're going to continue in the same sin, trying to build something up until God has to scatter it. Verses 22 through 24, look what happens. It says, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. These guys got spies everywhere, man. I don't know what's going on. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch, and when he had come and they had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them, uh, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know what that's called? Christianity. Well, yeah. You know what the verses we just read, you know what that's called? It's called a church plant. That's called a real church plant. They didn't go to a place, build up a church, and invite a bunch of Christians in. That's not a church plant. 
They went to the Greeks, they went to the godless people, and they took the gospel. And people began to get saved. And there were so many people being saved that Barnabas had to go. And he saw the grace of God. He saw that the Spirit of God was on them. And he was so amazed, he had to go get Saul to come back. And they, they moved. They left their homes, they left their lives, and they moved to Antioch to build up the believers there for a whole year. How many of y'all are willing to move to Kansas? To Kansas. If there's a church there, there's a church there that's struggling. People are getting saved, but there's no one to teach. How many of you are willing to, to leave your family behind, your friends behind, and go? Half of us aren't willing to go across the street. But that's a church plant. And here's the thing, a comfortable, self-fulfilling church is a dead church. That's just simple. If this church is comfortable, you come here and you don't get convicted, you don't feel like you have to do anything, you feel like your life is perfect, I apologize that I have not been doing my job. If you come here every Wednesday and you feel like your life is fulfilled and you go home and nothing about your life changes, you have no desire to share the word of God, you have no desire to grow personally, this is a dead church. Now, I don't think that's the case. I would hope that's not the case. But if at any point it becomes the case, this is a dead church. Not only that, but a dead church is, an, is a rebellious church because it has denied the call of the Lord for the sake of personal boasting and idleness. Now, why do I say personal boasting? Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying, Darren. We're comfortable. You know, we get idle. Okay, why boasting? Why do I say boasting? Here's the thing. You know what churches are built on? It was funny. I was talking about this last night. I see it, man. I see it in the youth groups. I see it in the young, young, young adult groups. I see it in the big churches and the small churches. I see it everywhere. Churches are built around moral high fives, mental high fives, right? We sit in a circle. We talk for three hours about a subject. We all agree. We get into great depths of information, and we all mentally are going like this. Yeah, I got it. I am now smarter than I was when I came in. And we go home and we do nothing with that information. And we come back next week and nobody holds us accountable. Oh, and there's a new subject that we get to high-five each other about. And we go home and we do nothing with that. That is what churches are being built on. Man, if that's what Christianity is, no wonder people don't want to join. I don't want to join that. I don't want to join that. Right? Why would anybody else? Now, I can, I can get into a group that's doing some moral high fives, and I can high five with them. That's cool. Because, hey, I don't mind talking about Jesus. I don't mind talking theology. Right? I love it, in fact. But if we're not changing because of it, man, something's terribly wrong. And if we're not changing, that means there's nothing for anybody else to see in our life that would make them consider wanting that. 
And even if they do see something in your life, if we're not speaking the gospel and we're not going to the people who obviously need it, what are we fulfilling? One of the things I've, I've come to hate, I really do. I, I look someone right in the eye when they're telling me and I'll smile. But really on the inside, I cringe. <laughs> they say, well, you know, I don't share the gospel, but I just shine my light for Jesus. And I know that they're going to see that and they're going to know. And I'm thinking to myself, how does that work? Do you have a special Jesus light that I don't have? Like, is there like a marquee that you wear that like in the name of Jesus? Because I've had a lot of people do a lot of good things for me. A lot of really good things. A lot of really nice people. I lost my wallet with like 350 bucks once and some dude picked it up, called me and gave it back with all my money. Was he a Christian? I have no idea. Probably not. But he didn't share the gospel with me. So did I see the light of Jesus in that? No, I didn't. Maybe he was a Christian. Maybe he was doing it because he knew the Lord said it was right to give it back. He didn't tell me that. So I don't know. I don't know. And unless you're telling somebody where the light comes from, you're shining your own light, buddy. You're not shining Jesus's. So we begin to boast, right? We begin to build ourselves up because we want more knowledge. We want, we want more wisdom. We want to be able to check more box, but we don't want to increase in obedience and sacrifice. And very often we don't go out at all with the gospel. We don't have it on the agenda to send people out. We don't have that as a desire as a church. And you know, I was convicted when I wrote this. You know what I haven't thought about? I haven't thought about what it would look like for us as a church to raise up missionaries that we're intending to send out somewhere else. I haven't really thought about that. I was convicted by that. You know? I mean, not to say I've never ever thought about it. I just figured, yeah, the Lord will, if the Lord wants to send someone somewhere, he'll send them. But I've never really prayed into that before. So we're not seeing the fruit we want because we're not taking the word of God where it needs to go. And that's very, man, that's almost too simple. Think about that. If you're not seeing fruit in your life, it might be because you're just not putting the word of God where it needs to go. So, at least the first people we read about went to the Jews and spread the gospel to Jews that were lost. A lot of times, we go from church to church, Christian to Christian, and share the good news of Christ and never take it to those who are lost who need it the most. We, it's like, what do you think about this? I want you to think about, I've got these two baskets, right? Chick-fil-A over here, Mama Cita's over here, just packed full, right? More, more food than I could feed everybody in this room. And I pick up these baskets, and I drive across town, and I take it to my brother's house. And I walk in, and here's my brother, and let's just say his pantries are overflowing. In fact, he's got two baskets, and they're full of food. And you know what I do? I give him the food. He gives me some of his food, and we eat together, and we have a good time. And you know what I did on the way to Daniel's house? You know what I had to do? 
past hundreds of people starving on the street, dying. And instead of stopping to give them food, I took it to people who were already full, and I fed them. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Sounds kind of silly, right? That is what we're building churches on. So let's just close with this. Guys, we have to go out. We have to learn to be fruitful. We have to learn to multiply the kingdom of God. Because if we're not going to go out, if we're not going to send out, he might just scatter us. He might just scatter us. You know? And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, Hagen and Amber moved away. And that was rough. But, you know, we love them and they're, they're down in Corpus. Patience, uh, she left, but she left, and she's serving at another church or trying to build uh, basically a, kind of an outreach thing for youth, I think is what it is. We had Derek about a year and a half ago. Derek had been with us for about a year and a half, and he said, you know what, I want to serve, so I'm going to go back to my church, and I'm going to go serve. Hey, praise God. He went out with a purpose. We had Curtis. Curtis left to Minnesota, right? He was gone a week, and I got a text saying, I'm bringing my aunts and my cousin and someone else to church with me. And, oh, and my atheist friend, someone, someone, is coming with me next week. You know, I'm okay with that. And by this time next year, if none of you are in this room and I have to build this church up from scratch, because every one of you went somewhere else with the purpose of bringing lost people in, I am okay with that. I am totally okay with that. Personally, I don't even know how, how long I'm going to be here. I may be here for a while. Pastor Mark may retire. I may take a spot. Someone else might be up here. In a month, God might tell me to leave and go somewhere else. And I guarantee you, I love y'all, but I'm, if God tells me to leave, I'm leaving. Right? I don't even know. And so if we had people like that, I'd be, man, I would be overjoyed. And here's my desire. I don't want to be a comfortable church. I don't want to be bringing y'all into small groups so we can have moral high fives. I want to see lives change, but most importantly, I want to see the lost saved. And I want to see a church that has a passion for that. And I can't make that happen, right? I can't give you a passion. I can't give you a skill set. And you know, not everybody was called to go out like that. They needed people. Paul and Barnabas went just to build people up. And we need people like that, that stay. We need people here that grow and serve, right? Not everybody's a missionary. Don't, don't think I'm, I'm preaching something I'm not. Not everybody's a missionary, but somebody's got to be. And we need to have a prayer life. We need to have a desire. We need to have a passion that God would raise up amongst us, men and women first, yes, of everybody here, that is bold to take the gospel to the people who really need it. Your families, your friends, your coworkers, the people down the street, the people across town, maybe Centerpoint, man, Centerpoint, no, just kidding. Um, wherever that is, we need to be praying that God will give us that passion. We also need to be praying that God is gonna give us people that we can love and support to send out with just that purpose, right? Because I want to see 
the blessings of the Lord. So I want to be, really, I want to be the most uncomfortable church in Kerrville. That's really what I'm saying, right? I want to be the most, <laughs> I want to be the most hated church in Kerrville. And I, don't, I almost don't even like saying that because it sounds crazy. And there's no, there's, nobody gets to wear a badge and be proud that they're hated. But I want to be the most hated church in Kerrville because we're the most faithful church in Kerrville. I want to be the most despised place in the hill country because there's so many authentic Christians that people can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, people do, you know, we have been, we have been called a cult. And, uh, but man, I want to be the most uncomfortable place. I want to be a place where when people come, if they're not growing and they're not having a heart for the lost, that they feel a conviction, because that's good. So, with that being said, I want, I want to remind you that just of God's first command to go forth and to multiply. And Jesus' last command before he ascended into heaven to be filled with the Spirit and to be witnesses to the earth. And I hope y'all would join me in beginning to pray for that and asking, Lord, what does that look like for Blueprint? Lord, what does that look like for my life? Lord, how can we fulfill this passion and have a, the passion ourselves? Because if you will pray that prayer with me over the next weeks, the next months, I guarantee you God will answer us. So let's just start, and let's start praying for that right now. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that even when I speak a little bit uh, harshly, <laughs> Lord, I thank you that I do have brothers and sisters here who are faithful and who love you. Father, and who are called according to your purpose. But Lord, I also know that right outside these four walls, there's a city full of people who are lost. There's a city full of people who are hurting, who are addicted, who are broken, and who have not received the blessing and the joy and the salvation that comes through surrendering to Christ Jesus. It's a free gift, and we're hiding it to ourselves. And so I just pray that you'd forgive us, Lord. I pray that you would build up in us um, a desire to go forth, that you would build here in Blueprint a church that sends out, that you would build up servants who their whole purpose and passion is in you is to be an evangelist and to help us in the ministry and that we can help them, Lord, as they fulfill your word. And so, Father God, I just thank you for those who have gone out from us and who are in different places. And I pray for those individuals that you'll bless them, that you'll be with them, and that you'll strengthen them to take the good news to those around them. So, Lord, just continue to guide us in your will, Father God, and build us up as your body. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.